0: Motopop, the internet radio show, all about motorcycle road racing. This is March the 21st, 2023. A wrap up of testing and prepping ourselves for the season to come. Lots to talk about. Let's try to keep it succinct here. But to do the succinctness, we will bring in Mr. Richard Job from the UK. Rich, a good evening to you, sir. Where are things in the UK as of right now?
1: Well, good evening, Jim, and good evening to everybody. I think it's the calm before the storm, isn't it? We've got a very, very busy season, and that's just MotoGP, let alone everything else. So, yeah, we've got a few things to quickly crack through tonight, but all kind of leading up to, yeah, this weekend. And on a scale of 1 to 10, I'm kind of at 100
0: on excitement levels. I don't know about you, Jim. Uh, I'm pretty excited for this one as well. I fear the Ducati Cup of years past from World Superbike, but, you know, we'll talk about that when we talk about testing. Yeah. I'm excited. I mean, always excited for motorcycle racing. I have swung the other way. I'm interested to see how sprint racing goes. I'm excited for that. I'm very curious to how all this is going to play out. It's going to be interesting. That's for sure. It is. So with that, Rich, um, could you help us out and update us with the subscribers and the donors to the show?
1: Yes. Uh, Thanks, Jim. I, I just want to preface this by saying this year we're going to try and do a little bit more with regards to the subscribers not going to talk too much about the detail because we're trying to line a few things up, but we've been doing a little bit of an update. So just to give a kind of March 2023 update of who is regularly contributing to the show. And we thank them from the bottom of our heart, of course, as we always do. So uh, a shout out to Alan Fleming, Nick Saban, Keith Kovach, who are PayPal subscribers. And then our Patreons are Jeremy Burnish, Jacob Rower, Kyle, Rob Fritas, Darren Andrews, Hudson Cooper, Paul Lang, Monk, Gary Shavit and Steve. Obviously, a few abbreviated names there. But those are the people that are regularly contributing to the show, by which I mean every month they put some money into the pot, which is obviously greatly appreciated. As I say, we're going to try and do a few things this year, if we possibly can, to bring a commercial sponsor on board. We've got a few irons in the fire on that. We won't talk about it too much now, but hopefully we'll be able to do a few things as the year goes on for the subscribers, and obviously to hopefully encourage a few more people to sign up. So that's all we'll say for now. But obviously, yeah, thanks to everybody. The support is greatly appreciated. And yeah, watch this
0: space. And remember, folks, if you can help out, you can by donating. To do that, just go to our website, www.motifpodcast.com. There are links to PayPal and Patreon that are on the right-hand side of the list. If you like the show but you can't contribute, that's fine. Help us out by going to your favorite podcast player and giving us a rating so that we can get to the top of that list to find more people who will join the show and listen and enjoy the content. With that, Rich, we need to have a shout-out to the Motopod Mayhem Fantasy game being run by our own Martin Darlington. Anybody who wants to can join the fun for the Motopod League. I don't remember. Did Martin say where... The where to go is it on the MotoGP website? Yeah, right. it's just on the, yes.
1: the normal Dawner website. So you just sign up to Fantasy League, and then there's a code which I'm sure you're going to read out in a minute, Jim. So you just enter yes. that code, and then it goes into the Motopod Mayhem League, which is for the Motopod subscribers and listeners.
0: Right. So here's the code that you need to get in it is Tango, Charlie, Kilo, Romeo, Lima, Foxtrot, Foxtrot, Yankee. For those of you who like the phonetic alphabet, or T C K R L. F F Y. That'll get you in. Uh, Martin also reminds us that in this league, which is going to be quite hard because you have to choose two gold riders, two silver, a manufacturer, and a team, all of it for only 15 million US. Uh, which I really had the 15 million US, <laughs> but anyway, before <laughs> and, and the last little note from Martin on this is that for the group that we are in, you have to submit your picks before Q one takes place in Moto G P. So yeah. with all that, that sounds like fun. I think I'm gonna to try to actually play this year if I can uh find the time. I think I'll just pick Bastianini all Ducati and uh, you know, maybe throw in uh Oliveira for the cheap just to be <laughs> You might run into some budget trouble there, Jim, I I suspect. (laughs) I've never done
1: a fantasy league ever in any sport at all, but I saw the email from Martin this morning, so I've signed up, I've made my picks, obviously I'm not going to say what they are just yet. I'm probably going to sync with (laughs) that trace (laughs) once things get going, but uh, we'll see, it'll be a bit of fun anyway. And there's some good prizes on offer through the main sort of Dawner league, so yeah, let's see what happens, it's going to be
0: interesting. Yep, I think that wraps up that part of it. Uh, You had a special shout-out, I think, Rich, that you wanted to put out from the show.
1: Yeah, just a quick one, really. So people, you don't have to cast your minds back too far. So episode... 719 which or was it 718 anyway the show or the show which had the interview that i did with asher durham so he's the young lad that's running in the uh, superstock 600 championship on the bsb calendar he put a shout out through the socials this morning some people might have seen it but one of his team or personal sponsor i'm not quite sure but anyway one of his commercial sponsors has fallen through regrettably so he is looking for some financial support That's mainly going to apply to people that are in a commercial position, I suppose, if you wanted to put a kind of a company name on his leathers. Uh, I think there's kind of signage down the side and on the front of the bike up for grabs. Not huge money, but if anybody is interested uh, or is able to contribute, be that a personal thing just from a listener or whether somebody has a bit more to spend perhaps from a commercial company point of view he's in a position where you know obviously we know what this is like particularly in the slightly lower formulas not to use sort of the wrong language but he's not in bsb but he's running in a stock 600 which is a fiercely competitive championship and very very good value for money so if anybody can support him you can find him on the various socials on twitter on instagram he's actually on linkedin which is probably the best place to find him if you're looking to help him out or you can email us uh, through the normal channels here and we can pass that information on so if anybody can help asher out please do because he's a massive talent and like all of these grassroots guys they
0: just need all the support they can possibly get so if you can help please do With that, let's get to the testing that concluded at Mayo. So we had the test in Sepang and then we moved to Mayo. So I don't think there's any two tracks that are probably as different from one another as you could possibly have between Sepang and Mayo. High speed tracks are technical in their own right, but we went from a very high speed, too long straightaway track with little to no elevation change to a track that's a roller coaster up and down, compressed into a small amount of space. And really the It didn't change where anybody was at all. In fact, it might have gotten to the point where there was a lot more Ducatis at the top. Now, the top nine people from testing, they all broke or not broke because it's not official, but they were all under the official track record for a MotoGP bike. It's scary how quick the new bikes actually are. From there, it gets a little fuzzy as to who's good and who's bad and where things are and all that. But what did you take away from the testing, Rich?
1: Well, as you say, Jim, I mean, very hard to compare between the two tracks because you couldn't get any different, as you say, even climactically, you know, they are very, very different places. I mean, there's no great surprises in MotoGP in terms of the fact that are where we knew that they would be, which is dominating the top 10 more or less with a couple of people putting in fast laps that we perhaps might not necessarily have expected so for example Fabio Digiantonio was really quick he actually missed the last day of testing because he uh, had a crash not a huge crash I don't think but he had a crash on the penultimate day and got kind of injured because of the gravel traps there's a bit of a side story there which we might come to but they're having to hurriedly change the gravel traps because the size of the gravel in the traps is far too big so he was actually injured enough not to be able to take part on the final day, because I don't know what you would call it. There's obviously a grading of the stones that they use in Gravel Traps. And basically, they appear to be too big. That's the problem. So if you crash, you kind of get injured just because of the gravel in the traps. So it sounds as if they're having to hurriedly, probably not in all of the runoff areas, it's true, but in some of the key ones, having to hurriedly change the aggregate to make it more acceptable. So he missed the final day is the point that I'm trying to make. But he was looking very, very quick. So basically, if you're on a Ducati, you're you're in a pretty good place, Jim, I think is the main takeaway. But I we do have a fear. Although we said this last year, and it kind of was borne out in what happened, but Ducati are, well, even stronger this year, Jim, than they were last year. I think that's probably pretty much where we are, isn't it?
0: Yeah, I did some thinking about this, and I need you to kind of fill in the fuzzies here for me, Rich. But at the beginning of last year, Ducati had a front-end shape-shifting bike for the new 2022 bike, which I was thinking, didn't Dorna or the FIM ban that front shape-shifter almost immediately? It was certainly very early in the season. It was very early in the season, correct? Yes. yes. So I think we all understand that the gizmos and the arrow that Ducati have on these bikes are baked into the bikes from the very beginning, right? They're not add-ons. They're an integral part of the design of what Ducati has. Mm-hmm. So when they started the season with the front-end shapeshifter, they had the bike set and ready to go based on that type of equipment. When they had to take that off the bike and remove it, they struggled until they could get their base settings worked back out again because they didn't have the device to help them. That's sort of how Bastianini sort of stole a few races, if you will, at the beginning of the year from them. This year... Because we know that that's been banned. Ducati have, does not have that designed into the motorcycle. And it's more of a conventional front end, if you will. And they have taken the time now to have a very stout bike that's very, very good. And it looks, I won't say impossible to beat, but somebody's going to have to do something pretty darn special to actually beat them at their own game. That's going to be tough. That's where the big competition comes from. It could be a knockdown drag out. We do this all the time, and I'll do it again. It could be a very Senna versus Prost type of fight between teammates with Bashini and Peko. Now, question, the more fun I think this season, to me, is going to be watching how Ducati controls their riders as opposed to just the racing itself. There's going to be this internal political strife slash jostling positioning of who gets what and when and where and why and all those other little things. And eventually, you almost got to believe at some point that if they have someone else, say Jorge Martín or perhaps maybe Oliveira on the Aprilia, who are relatively close to them, what does Ducati want the most? Do they want a manufacturer's championship or do they want a uh, rider's championship or do they want both? So you can see that where they could get something, they could kind of look at Pramac and say you guys are riding in defense of the team's championship, perhaps, for our title hopes. But, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. None of us do. But it's for certain that the Ducatis are quick, incredibly quick. And if they're this quick at a track like Mayo, they're going to be quick pretty much everywhere. And I don't think that there's a track now that you can kind of stop and go, wow, that really isn't a Ducati track because they have worked so hard to make that bike work at any track that they are the strongest people going into any race weekend now, without a doubt. Without a doubt. I mean, there's a fair bit to unpack there. So I think the kind of the key
1: takeaway from testing is that it's evolution, not revolution. Very much so. If we go back twelve months, you know, we can remember that Banyai was very frustrated with having to try and work his way around the front end changes that they had made with the shape shifting, with the shape shifting, and possibly a couple of other things. I mean, obviously, we don't know what Gigi has brought to this year's bike, but it looks as if it's very much just an incremental step for the works bike. So just to recap, and I know we've mentioned this several times, but Banyar and Bastianini are on the 2023 spec prototype. Everybody else in the satellites is on a 2022 bike. So that's clear. It would appear that, as you say, the works team aren't bringing anything too kind of disruptively revolutionary to upset their start of the season like they did last year. I think they've learned that lesson. So as you say, Jim, I think it's really going to be a question of how Ducati manage the embarrassment of riches that they have, because if we look at the satellites... They're even stacked. They're stacked. I mean, I mean we tended to be a little bit kind of unkind, I suppose, in our appraisal of TG Antonio. But on his Mm -hmm. testing form, on the 22-spec bike, he's been, as I said a minute ago, he's been looking really, really strong. So they've got Alex Marquez, Zarco, you know, will bang in results. He will probably continue to be their de facto test rider at every round if they are trying various bits and pieces. Jorge Martin has a massive chip on his shoulder and a big point to prove. Mm -hmm. He ain't necessarily going to be worrying too much about what the factory are demanding from Pramac, particularly if the rumours about him going to Yamaha in 2024 proved to be true. Marini looks brilliant. I mean, he's been very, very strong all through the tests. Pizeki, we know, is a major talent that's getting better all the time. And Alex Marquez, we expect great things of. So, you know, there is not a weak link, it appears, in the Ducati Arsenal at the moment. So the early rounds... Obviously, the Ducati factory will want either Bagnaia or Bastianini, and I've, I've got a slight question mark in my mind about how quickly Bastianini might have sort of develop into the factory role, because that's a big shift from where he was. There's a lot more expectation, there's a lot more pressure in that role. You know, he's right in the fire pit now, and he's obviously got the World Championship in the box next to him, so I mean, that is a big change for him. So the early rounds might just be who starts to look like the bikes or riders that Ducati will start to back as a championship, because whilst they will want either of the works riders to win the championship, of course they will. You know, if those two guys have bad luck or whatever and somebody else suddenly emerges, I mean, Jorge Martin is the obvious person that might suddenly leap to the front here if he can stop crashing. He might
0: be the shock world champion. Yeah.
1: yeah, it's entirely possible. So that's the problem Ducati can have this year. It's not be around the bike, for sure. It's going to be around which rider they support and how they manage the politics, which is an area which we've constantly said is an area that they don't handle terribly well historically, but you know, obviously this is a new season, so let's see.
0: Yep, I think uh, Aprilia will kind of move forward a little bit. Aprilia is, is the second best still. Yep. It was kind of to me, a little shocking that they were as far behind as they were, right? They were pretty far down the list. The RNF squad that was kind of leading that charge, too, if I remember correctly. So, where's Aprilia going to fit into this? Because I do think that there are tracks that are better suited to the Aprilia. I think the more tighter circuits, a little more. Uh, well, I shouldn't say tighter circuits, but the ones that have more of a, the sweeping bends like Asin, I think they'll be very fast at. I think they'll be pretty quick at Mugello. The tracks that have the long radius corners are the ones where I think that they are going to do better where you kind of set the bike and transition. Not so much, you know, Port and Squirt. I think that's Ducati's realm. I do think that Ducati is still fast, even on the tracks that Aprilia are, but I think Aprilia is going to bring a little bit more to that and make it a little bit closer I look for podiums out of Oliveira. I think he's got a bike. I think he has the ability. I think he's got the talent. Alash, I hope he does well again. But I think he sort of had that one chance, that one really, really good chance. And I think he kind of missed it I agree. a little bit there. You know, Vinales, I don't know what he's going to do. I, I, did, I don't even think Perli knows what he's going to do, <laughs> to be honest. But then you have Fernandez and that being... Wow, let's see if I get this right. Adrian Fernandez. Like Raul. Raul. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's always good. This is good. It's a, there's too many Fernandez's. Okay. That's just how it's going it's to gonna be. It's going to go going all year, folks. <laughs> it will. I, I understand. Yeah. It's going to go on all year. So, I mean, what's he going to do? Cause he had a pretty abysmal season on the KTM. And I don't think he's he's been better, but I think it's just because the bike's better. I don't think it's him. Per se, I don't know.
1: I'm going to make a prediction here. I think RNF are going to run rings around the work squad this year. I really, it's very do. possible. I think it is a distinct possibility, and kind of in a way, given the two riders in the works squad, we know Elia is in the let's say twilight of his MotoGP career, and he has said as much himself. Maverick, you know. <sighs> You just never know, do you? He yeah. is so unpredictable. If he clicks with this bike this year, he's had plenty of time on it now, and he was looking pretty good through the tests, but you just never quite know what Maverick's going to deliver. Whereas I think Oliveira, you can sort of take it to the bank that he's going to be consistent, and he will be fast as well, on a very, very good bike. And Raul Fernandez, as much as we've spoken about him and the way he conducts his affairs in the paddock and his entourage and stuff. But let's put all that to one side a moment. Let's look at the rider that ran Remy Gardner very close to the Moto2 Championship two years ago. You know, he's a stellar talent. He just needs to be in a place where that talent can be let loose and and controlled and managed in the right way. And you've got two very hungry young guys there looking at, Seats in the work squad so all of that to me adds up to the fact that they are going to certainly in the first half of the year and we don't what we don't know obviously is that the the 2023 April that Maverick and Alisha are going to be on maybe they're having a one or two little problems I think in testing that it was alluded to obviously no specifics but they were having a few technical issues here and there certainly Maverick was bedeviled by issues on the final day so he didn't really put in a particularly sort of fast offering on that last day but in the RNF squad, they've got end of last season 2022 bike. So they're going to hit the ground pretty much running, I think, with that bike. So, you know, the first half of the season is going to be interesting in terms of how that dynamic works between the works and the satellite squad because you know maybe rnf just can't develop that bike Uh, we don't know what technical support in terms of development and how because aprilia is a much smaller factory we don't know how quickly they can bring parts through to the satellite squad but clearly i think what's different about this scenario this year is that if we take say the old yamaha tech 3 kind of setup tech 3 were always a customer team so they started off the year with the last year's bike And then they just fell further and further behind. I don't have the impression that that's what Aprilia are up to this time. They want four competitive bikes. and They want all that data. They want to push. And they've got two riders that they know that they can bring up to the work squad ultimately. So I think they will push quite hard. The limit will be their ability financially or operationally, logistically, etc. to do so. So that's going to be the interesting dynamic, I think, in the Aprilia four bikes
0: that they put out into the field. Hmm. Yeah, I can't disagree with you on that. Let's move to KTM. They're the third best bike. I think we can say that, although you could potentially push Yamaha into that, maybe well, just Yamaha. because of the magic of Quattro, you know, yeah. on I, on a one lap wonder if you will take it that way. I don't think we know where KTM really is because from what I've kind of read, I get the impression that they threw many different things at the KTMs this year. There was different pipes, different motors, different frames, different everything that they were trying in all kinds of different combinations. So we don't know what they were doing, when they were doing or what they were trying. We just know that they're definitely lagging behind Ducati and uh, semi close to Aprilia. Bender needs to qualify better. I think they know that. I think they've been trying to make that happen. Are they going to succeed at it is my question, because Brad cannot start any lower than the third row and hope to be on the podium or be near it. And you can see conceivably the first six bikes could all be after qualifying a Ducati. It's possible.
1: Yeah, I I think you're kind of shooting the coach in the KTM situation a bit. I kind of have to. <laughs>
0: they might be in more trouble than we than we know.
1: Well, again, there's a couple of uh, Gradottis in the pit lane. I think it's Francesco Gradotti isn't it? who's now the team manager, the ex pramac guy, who's uh, team uh, manager. yes, at, the ex guy, yes. In yeah. the works KTM squad, and I think he's been quite open and honest, kind of toto wolfish to use the old F1 (laughs) analogy about the fact that as things stand in the here and now, KTM are in a bit of trouble. Binder did put in a quick lap to kind of raise himself up the timing sheets on the final day, but I think that was perhaps yeah, just kind of sugarcoating the situation that they're in. I mean Miller was looks to be quite a long way off. Neither of the gas gases appeared to be terribly strong. Okay, Augusto, he's a rookie Obviously, he's going to take time to get up to speed. He's been doing a solid job, without a doubt, but Binder is what KTM is all about this year, certainly, again, in the early part of the season as Miller kind of gets up to speed on that bike. But I don't know with KTM. I mean, they kind of went through last year with this mantra that the previous year, so what, 2021, they had thrown too much development at the bike and they had kind of got themselves confused. So last year was more about trying to settle the ship, kind of try and follow a more logical development path. And then in testing, the word is that they've been throwing the kitchen sink at it again and they seem to have arrived at a position where they don't have much of a direction. We're not in the pit lane, so we don't know for sure. But that's in terms of reading, listening, and just sort of tapping into the vibe of what's been going on through the off-season. That appears to be that they're a bit confused again, which is a bit of a worry because, you know, you don't have much testing. Well, you don't have any testing hardly in season. So no. how do they work their way through this one? That's the worry with KTM. I mean, Binder, you can take it to the bank that on the Sunday he'll pull out all the stops. But again, if they're fourth or fifth row, they're in trouble again, aren't they? So so that is the problem with them. So I think it's a big question mark over KTM at the moment in terms
0: of what they're going to do. Was it Gadadi or was it Pit Byer who said after Sepang, we have all the data, we're going to go back, we're going to massage and look at the data and we're going to have our direction. And I'm going to guess that whatever they looked at in data, they didn't like or didn't see a proper progression or something because... I really had high hopes that, hey, we spent all this time, we threw all these different things at it. Here's the data. Oh, hey, the A component works, but the B component doesn't. So let's use the D component. So an a, D, uh, X, you know K bike is going to be what we're going to start with going into Porto Mayo and have a baseline and see where we are. And it's like, no, it just was the same thing again. So question mark over KTM. Yeah, We don't know where they are. Uh, that leaves us to well, KTM slash gas gas because they're same thing. Yeah. So that takes us down to Yamaha with the one lap wonder that is Fabio Quattararo. Yamaha is still looking for everything. I think they have handling, although maybe, maybe not. I We don't know what's going on with tire pressures because that's going to be a big story all year is the tire pressures. You know, Quattararo, if he's not, on the front two rows, he's not going to beat the Ducatis. The tire is going to heat up. He's not going to be able to use it. And he may be stuck in the pack. Now, I'll give Yamaha credit for coming up with at least a unique wing tail section to try on the bike, although I did think it was a bit silly. (laughs) It looked like the rear wing off of a 1970s, early 80s Formula One car uh, sitting there. I'm like, "Mm." I thought you were going to
1: say a 1980s whale tail Porsche 911. Yeah,
0: well, they could. Yeah, they could have taken it from that, too. That would have been probably better than what they had on the bike.
1: I mean, you could literally have put your tray with your dinner on that. Thing,
0: yes, presumably they
1: well, you would hope that they've looked at it in terms of wind tunnel data and decided that that might help. But oh, talk about an aberration. But I mean, if it works, it works. I mean, you know, right. this is not about being pretty,
0: this is about being fast. There have been ugly Formula One cars that have been very fast, right. Yeah. There's also Formula One cars that are very beautiful that are very fast.
1: Well, I give you the Ducati MotoGP bike of the last five years. It's not an aesthetically it's pleasing thing to look at. It's a hideous
0: looking thing, but it's quick. So who cares? Yeah. Uh, well, it doesn't matter how ugly it is. It's how fast it goes. Yeah. <laughs> Again, Yamaha, I give them credit for thinking outside the box, but they seem to have the same problem. There's not enough engine power. They ha- are suffering with, I-, I-, I won't say rear grip as much, but it does seem like there is some rear grip issue, I kind of get the impression that's where that wing idea came from on the back was, oh, we can add some grip to the rear, maybe potentially in braking, stabilize it under the braking situation, keep that rear on the ground so Quattro can use the rear brake into the corners. But I think it's a far cry from the solution that, say, Ducati Gas Gas have, KTM, where they have more of a strake or, you know, the, the Stagosaurus-type tail. Which I get that aerodynamically what you're trying to do with it seems to be more logical than what Yamaha was trying. I mean, hey, Honda <laughs> Honda didn't even have aero stuff to try in Sipang. They went out with a fully un-aero deviced motorcycle. And well, we know how that turned out. I mean, the wild card in it for me is what is Quattro going to be able to do, right? I think that's the question. Is he going to bring the magic at the early part of the season? Uh, you would think that early on, Quattro has a better chance to rack up some points to be in the championship hunt. And then again, you kind of get to the end of the year and you go, oh, these are Ducati kind of tracks. And well, he's not going to be able to do that. But the season has been fluffed around. We're not going to the same place at the same time, which I think is going to add another little twist to things as far as the tires and how they get them switched on and longevity in life and whatnot. But uh, we'll talk about those little things here. you have anything else for Yamaha before we go to Honda? Well, <laughs> I mean, it's a little bit hard because they've only got two bikes and yeah.
1: effectively they've only got one bike at the moment because Morbidelli doesn't appear to have overcome his troubles from the, last, well, from the last couple of years, really, so far in testing from what we've seen. I think it's just to give them some due credit Jim in terms of the speed trap times they weren't looking too bad so I think they've settled on the fact that that engine is a big improvement on what they had before so I think ticking that box I mean everybody's now playing around with what do we call it ground effect aero Yamaha included they turned up this horrendous looking rear wing but Aprilia were running a couple of iterations of rear wings as well not sort
0: of stegosaurus type things but you know wings conventional wing yeah not a strike or a rake or whatever the aerodynamicists call those things
1: i mean again we're at the kind of the what do you call it the tip of the iceberg on all of this stuff aren't we i mean this is a rabbit hole of spend that is just going to go crazily out of control if we're not careful and there is obviously a worry about what that means to the health of the sport financially in terms of the participants but anyway we'll park that for now but there's that Yamaha's situation I think is a little bit interesting as well, particularly with Quatteraro, who's our really a, our only reference point with Yamaha over the course of the last three seasons, in this whole tire pressure thing, because of course, although it's still a little bit under the radar and it doesn't apply straight away, but in the foot fir- well, my understanding is that in the first three rounds, we're trialing without the risk of sanction the new tire pressure range ruling. So that from, and whilst this might change based on the first three races, from round four, which is Jaref, this potentially becomes a mandated set of rules that if you stray outside of the tyre pressure range... You're into trouble. So we'll see how it goes. So we don't know if people will play around, play fast and loose with the rule, or whether people will treat it seriously and say we're going to actually work to the rule and see where it lands us. But obviously there's a lot of stake on that because, meanwhile, you're racking up points or losing points. And we know that the Yamaha, for whatever reason, the Yamaha has been particularly susceptible to this front tyre pressure problem. I know Matt Oxley broke this story last year about certain factors playing fast and loose with the recommended pressures that Michelin impose but can't enforce. So everyone's going to have to get their act together on this one. So again, this is another outlier that we don't quite know what it's going to mean. But all we do know is from recent experiences that Yamaha in particular have tended to have trouble with this if they're buried in the pack. And without wishing to sort of damn them right from the get-go, but let's be honest, with the Ducatis up front and the Aprilias, it's quite likely that Crossroad will find himself kind of in the early laps of races in the early part of this season, perhaps down in 7th, 8th position. Easily. So if he's going to run into tyre pressures, this is when it's going to happen. So that is another thing that might cause them trouble. And I do just lament the fact that they don't have a satellite squad and a proper sort of semi-works, straight almost-works satellite squad on the grid to help them out in terms of figuring out all of this data because aero is just so prevalent now. And it just is another massive curveball in terms of how you interpret where you need to go in terms of development. So Fabio will obviously make a lot of the difference in all of this, but he can only do so much. And you just worry that he's going to be fighting a, a lone battle again this year. And it's going to be a, a bit of an uphill struggle. Does Yamaha have a satellite
0: team next year? Not at the moment. I mean, do you think they'll go have a satellite team on the grid next year, the 2024 season? Well, I think the question, Jim, really is, who would want to be a satellite
1: team on present performance, that's probably the bigger issue. So uh, I suppose it comes down to what kind of promises or what kind of figures Yamaha are prepared to commit to a satellite team to take that leap of faith, which is what it would be at the moment. It doesn't look good for them at the minute, I don't think. No, I don't know how they develop if they don't have another set of bikes, period. The one thing I will just say, Jim, I think it was interesting. Again, most people probably won't have seen this and I only kind of picked up on this through the amount I read but at the VR46 Ducati launch which Valentino attended he was in his civilian clothing there was no branding mm. of any that type is true. so he wasn't pinning any colors in terms of manufacturers or brands to himself obviously you know <laughs> Marini and Buzeki were fully bedecked in all of their various garb you know, Ducati, but. Whether that was just Valentino being kind of like the James Hunt, Barry Sheen, kind of, I don't conform, I'm not interested in corporate world. You know, know, because we know that's kind of Valentino's whole thing, right? All through his career, he was very much the maverick, not wanting to tow that kind of corporate line. But it was interesting that he chose that event to be completely neutral in terms of where his loyalties lie so whether that was perhaps a signal that you know he's open who knows but at the moment it would be a big leap of faith for anybody
0: let alone Valentina Rossi's ross's team to commit to a yamaha for 2024 i think i can only guarantee you one thing about what bike rossi's satellite team will never have that will be a honda 100%. i think we can pretty much guarantee that a hundred
1: percent yeah you bet the mortgage you'd bet everything i would, I would bet the farm as we yeah. say here in the US, yeah, that's oh, the we American platform.
0: Yeah. Yep. So since we've kind of delved into, into Honda.
1: Unless they relent and give them that NSR, then perhaps the bet's back on. Maybe.
0: Yeah. <laughs> they're not going through. That's in the museum. They're not gonna let's move on to the sad sad story that is Honda. Again, the bottom of the timesheets, horrible. Marquez I know has said that they did find a little something with the front end uh on the bike. Mere not even close. Renz pains me to say it. I don't think that he's even close with the bike. Man. Some of the photos I saw of Mir visor up have that distant thousand yard stare that I've seen from guys where they just don't know what to do. It is like, I, they have that look of, I got to go out here and push this thing. And I don't know how I'm going to do it. And they're looking inside trying to figure out like how they're going to gain a 10th or two. Well, I Renz is a great writer. He's a world champion, right? Just I don't know if he has that inner magic that Marquez has to will something far beyond the limits of tires and everything else. HRC is back at the drawing board again to try to come up with a solution to this thing that they do not have. And they're not even close. In fact, they are so close. And I think I saw this Matt Oxley maybe broke this. It might have been Simon Patterson that I saw it at. I'm not sure who did. But come her they're going to have a frame built by Kalex for Marquez. There's two sides of that coin here. Just
1: say that again, Jim. Yes. Did everybody heard me
0: correctly? Yes. So by her the fourth round of the season, Honda will have a frame for Mark Marquez that was built completely by Kalex. I've thought about this long and hard. We know back in the 80s, Yamaha had like Harris chassis. They had rock chassis that they were using, which that was more because they were supplying engines and privateer teams were using the rocks. But Kenny Roberts, who was running the factory team at the time, was like, yo, this frame sucks and we need the rock chassis for them to use. So I mean, it's not you know uncommon for like Yamaha or somebody else, but I cannot think of a time that Honda had a chassis that was built by somebody other than themselves or HRC. Okay, you could maybe argue somewhere in the 80s that they had a chassis that was made by Mugen. Okay, that's mm, we're splitting hairs as to whether that's not Honda or not. But I know Moriwaki made frames and race bikes for their 250 motors back in that 2012, 2010, 2013 range because I remember distinctly at Indy they had the the kids that were riding the 250s and they were all on a Moriwaki frame. Now Honda may have had a Moriwaki frame somewhere in the beginning or the past that they used but it was obviously very very hush hush and there was no mention of it at least none that i can remember if anybody knows let me know so this is a big diversion for honda to sit there and say we don't have an answer and we're looking elsewhere is incredible it means two one of two things it's either one this is how desperate they are that they have no idea how to engineer themselves out of the problem which is possible because right? I can tell you that the, a lot of the magic in the 80s was really just because of Irv Kanamoto and a guy named Freddie Spencer riding the bikes because, you know, Wayne Garter was on there and he had a hard time with him, but made it work for him. Or they're doing this because they're so desperate to keep Marquez off of a Ducati or off of a KTM or off of an Aprilia or wherever else he may want to go at the end of 2024 that. They're doing something to prove that, hey, we can get you back to having another title. I think it's very clear from the Mark Marquez Amazon Prime show. He wants two more titles. I think he has an amazingly strong amount of drive for two more. I think he wants to look at it and throw it in Rossi's face. That's how I see that one. That's my own opinion of it. Rich, Rich. Your side. Again. So so much to unpack.
1: <laughs> because, yeah, we could talk right now on this one. Yeah. Well, I think that there's kind of Honda and the bike and there's Mark Marquez and Honda, isn't there? I mean, they're kind of different mm. things. And I do sort of start to wonder in all of this, whether or not by the time the Honda might or might not get the bike to Mark Marquez's liking, is Mark Marquez becoming a bit of a distraction from where they should be focusing? Because, you know, Mark's been around a long time, quite heavily injured. And, you know, there's young guys coming through all the time. I don't know, really. I mean, as you say, Jim, I mean, I'm sure HRC over the years have used all sorts of third-party suppliers uh, and OEMs to improve the overall package, but it's always been an HRC product, hasn't it? Yeah. In terms of the work squad, anyway. Mm -hmm. Whether this is a genuine kind of shift in culture and mentality and approach, I kind of think it probably is, but it's also, I think, undoubtedly part of the managing the Mark Marquez problem as well and it's a chassis i mean it's not aero is it so i mean the two things are completely different one doesn't necessarily solve the problem as an overall kind of holistic approach so it all kind of feels a bit kind of reactionary but i think in fairness to hrc for them to make this move shows that they are at least doing everything they possibly can a to make the bike better and obviously b try and placate mark marquez because let's just look at what's happened over pre-season valencia he had a froth job. He told them it's not good enough. If this is how it's going to be, the coded message was you can forget it, which kind of meant I'm out as soon as I can go. But that's how I read what he said. In Sepang, they brought four new frames. And over the course of that three or four day test, he ended up back on the last year's frame. The original. Yeah. Basically, he discarded all the other iterations, one of which was a completely new design. And that kind of followed through in Portimao. So he was on that twenty twenty-two bike. Yeah, with a different engine and obviously some aero tweaks and stuff. But they're kind of they've stood still effectively, I think, in terms of what he needs from the bike. Now, obviously, you know, they've got Mia, they've got RINs, and they've got Nakagami, but Nakagami is still uh I think suffering terribly with his hand from the injuries that he sustained in, where was it, Aragon, wasn't it? (laughs) Ironically, because he got Uh, taken out by Mark Marquez, although it was an accident. It wasn't anything more than that. It was just one of those unfortunate things. And then he rode the following round in Motegi, if you remember, when he should have just been stood down. He did untold damage to his hand by competing in that round, and he's still suffering the consequences of that. And it might well be the case that. He's an irrelevance this year, both in terms of race performance and development performance for Honda, because I think he's in that much trouble from it. Anyway, I forget precisely, and people can call me out for being wrong on this one, but I think in terms of how the Portimao test finished a couple of weeks ago, I think the Hondas were something like 13th, 14th and 15th. They were all pretty close on time. Now, whether that was mere Marquez, Rins or what the order was, I don't know, but they were very close to each other. So what I took from that was they're basically all getting the maximum out of that package. know they're all together they're very close on time there's nothing more that that bike can give them at the moment so and then we hear that honda are going down the Calex route which is a big surprise but isn't a big surprise at the same time because clearly they need to do something different so i mean who knows really i mean if they take on a brand new chassis how long does it take them to dial that thing in you know it's it's a complete unknown isn't it but at least they're heading in the right direction and i Probably overall, my take is that it's a positive thing, albeit a very, very surprising thing, and pretty much, if not entirely unprecedented in HRC's history, really, in terms of how public that announcement
0: was. Yeah. I don't know if we should think of this as it's shocking, okay? But is it really that shocking? Marquez used a Kalex swing arm for the latter part of the year, and he liked it, and he got feel that he wanted. So, Looking back at that, I kind of think that this Kalex chassis thing is a Mark Marquez, guys. You aren't giving me what I want, but Kalex may be able to. Because I love their swing arm. Well, if they put that together with a whole chassis, do we get what we want? Don't know. Big question mark there. In terms of dialing in a chassis, again, I I don't I don't know how Arrow really plays into how you do a chassis. But let's just set arrow aside for this conversation. If you give somebody a chassis like Marquez and he comes back and says, well, the front's pushing, it's very easy to sit there and go, okay, we're going to lower the forks and the tubes. We're going to add some rebound or a little more compression and dial that in rapidly to have a fairly quick motorcycle. If the chassis is at least halfway decent, I don't think Kalex is going to miss. They have enough Moto2 experience with their chassis. And I think one of the things that kind of made them the de facto chassis standard is the adjustability that they build into that chassis. I got to believe that they're going to do sort of the same thing. There's going to be multiple different swing arm pivot points. There's going to be multiple different head angles that they're going to be able to use in the triple tree. There's going to be this vast array of adjustment that they're going to be able to go with and see. And I think you have a lot of smart people in there. They're the suspension techs, Jenny Anderson is there with them, who was really, you know, had a great front end on the KTM. If you take all that and you get that data back, I think they can dial it in. Maybe not at but I don't know where we go after hereth The schedule's not like it used to be. I'm guessing we go to France, but I'm not 100% sure. So maybe by Mugello. They have a good working Kalex framed Honda that isn't as bad as they have now, but maybe isn't enough because it's aero lacking to get you to the very front. So instead of being on the outside looking in of a top 10, maybe they can get themselves by Magello to being in the thick of the fight for a top five. I think that's possible.
1: I might be seeing shadows in the door that don't exist here and (laughs) being a bit of an uber conspiracy sort of theorist, but I wonder what influence Ken Komachi from Suzuki is having in this decision. Mm. He might have come in (laughs) and said, I can't see how we go forward with this frame. Let's bring somebody else in. And of course, if it
0: all goes wrong, HRC have got a very useful scapegoat. Easy scapegoat, Yeah that was just my take. If we think about it, if you really want to open the door in conspiracy theories, Ken was the person who said, we're not running the bike with any arrow on it. Let's figure out where the chassis is. Now, if Ken looks at that and he's obviously knows how to make a bike work because he's done it with the Suzuki, right? He's like, whoa, this isn't even close guys. This is isn't even in the ballpark. Yeah. I can see the line you're drawing. I really
1: can. Pure speculation. Obviously we don't know. And I've not read all anything about that I'm just thinking as you, you're talking and thinking well they've got a new guy in charge there's a new broom as you say Jim that whole stripping down the bike and just running it as a bike you know no aero was obviously it was weird there was to a reason, us but there was a reason to do it it was set a baseline and then move forward from there and immediately relatively speaking within a few weeks this is the news that we hear so I mean as I say I wouldn't say we've been critical we've just kind of commented for quite some time now you and I about the fact that you know, the Japanese factories have tended to be very sort of closed doors in house, quite conservative, not wanting to kind of admit that things are defeat. wrong or mm. defeat. You know, all of those things, and that's all perfectly understandable because who would want to do any of those things? But, you know, they they are obviously having a reset and there are various things in place at the moment that are causing them to have that reset. But Ken Kawachi, who has... You know, he was the constructor that won the last race last season. So he knows how to make a current generation MotoGP bike, chassis, engine, aero, all of it. He knows how to make it go fast. So, And both of his ex-riders are in that squad. So he knows what he's pointing towards. Now, that may preclude Mark Marquez from the longer term picture. But Mark Marquez is not a long term picture anyway because he's aging he's been around a long time and he's injured okay he's fitter than he was but not the mark marquez that reeled off all those championships one after another a few years ago so we just have to accept that i mean all things come to an end i still think mark marquez is going to win some races this year and you know we probably Mm. need to have a discussion about sprint races because he's going to be like a maniac in sprint races i'm absolutely 100% sure of that. They are points paying races, you know, not as many points, but you know, you can rack up a decent number of points in the sprints this year. So he's going to go crazy in those races, Mark Marquez. Yep.
0: All right. Let's uh, move to sort of the big elements that are going to surround race weekend and then some predictions about MotoGP to kind of pull this back together again and be sort of conscientious of time. Yeah. Sprint races are going to be big There's, you know, that's now changed. It changes the amount of practice that everybody has. We know that they're half the distance of what the normal race is going to be. They provide half points as well, uh, you know, with 12 points for a win and whatnot. Uh, It's going to be really super easy to to be consumed by that. I'm going to call that send it Saturday for Mark Marquez because that's (laughs) what the boy's going to do. He's just going to send it. There's not really going to be any kind of a thought process. It's just, you now allowed him to run full tilt absolutely at the maximum for a very few amount of laps so hey anything is entirely possible at that point game uh, yeah game on which that could be entertainment value that may bring people to the track may okay i'm excited for the sprints jim i don't know about yeah, you Yeah, there's something about it i don't know if doing them in every round is correct. I don't know if it should be more like of the One where it's select tracks. I don't have any feel on that, but I am kind of interested in this. It's, it's a, to me, it's that old school Saturday night dirt track run for the cash, you know, top five dash for some cash, kind of a thing where you throw a thousand dollars in front of five dirt trackers. It, it looks like a pack of wolves that haven't eaten in a month. I mean, It's just, it's like, that is some serious racing that's going on there. And it's no holds barred. I mean, there's a lot of guys that come back with some tire rub marks on leathers after one of those. So I can see the same thing happening here. Again, I don't think the factories are paying bonus money for it, but I think the riders kind of got like some sponsor commitments from, you know, helmet manufacturers, boots, leathers, people like that. Hey, you want a sprint race, you get another who knows how much in there. So that's a big issue with that one. I think we touched on it. We'll mention it here again, the tire pressure issue, right? We have a rule now. You have to maintain a tire pressure of a minimum spec that Michelin maintains. You must have. It's got to be that way from the first lap of the race. You got to be in that window. Is it just a minimum? I think it's just a minimum value, right? you can't be below that minimum at any time. Cause that's what Matt Oxley had in his article was that people were running below yeah. the limit and then allowing the tire to heat up because they want it more squish and more braking early on. And as it heats up, you lose some of that feel and braking ability on the front Michelin. That's going to be a different take on top of it. Something else I think that we all should look at, uh, having watched a lot of the practice starts from Porto Mayo, Ducati has the best launch control of anybody those bikes turn into dragsters they drop to the ground they pick the front wheel off the ground by about an inch and they go in a straight line like a bullet so look for ducatis to be at even if they're on the second row blasting through to the front to see what happens are there any other big issues that we need to talk that are going to be race related this rich i think i have touched upon them all or at least the vast majority at least the interesting ones to me
1: i think the sprint is really the really the big one one, really because obviously it has a big potential effect on the Sunday race as well because if you kind of go to Banzai and end up crashing and hurting yourself you know you lose a truckload of points the following day if you're not careful so it's tactically it's very very difficult for the, both the riders and the teams to figure out their way around it. I think the teams obviously operationally in terms of bike setup, the sprint will become more familiar as the year goes on. But Mm -hmm. the riders still have that half race to go for it, you know, without any tyre worries or far fewer tyre worries anyway, in terms of longevity of the tyres. But there's a lot to lose on a Saturday that costs you much bigger if you're not participating or you're hindered in some respect on the sunday now unlike the formula one sprint races the result of the sprint race in MotoGP doesn't affect your starting grid position on the sunday that will be the same on both races it's a very good point but if you kind of crash or you hurt yourself or something the following day you've got no time to recover so as much as these guys are warriors and they'll ride around any sort of physical impediment that they have nevertheless you don't want to be jeopardizing your sunday performance because that's a double points haul on the sunday so it's a tricky balance for the riders to make and it's clearly going to suit some riders over others in terms of the sprint or the long race and I don't really have a feel for that at the minute I mean I can think of one or two people that you'd say the sprint will favour or the long race you know the normal race will favour I think we can probably both come up with a list of names that you'd say well they'll be good in the sprint or they would be the ones that you'd hang out on for Sunday but a lot can happen in a race. It's not FB4 anymore, where people are sort of going around in isolation, taking it relatively easy. It's a race and they're racers. So, you know what happens when the green light
0: comes on? They're going for it. So, red mist. There's a lot of jeopardy there. There is. Let's look at sort of predictional things. So, from my standpoint, I've said it before, I'll stick with it. Bastianini for world champion. The long race he's got, I think he has that tire conservation show up late in the game and disrupt the order, which may be fun to see. I don't know how much he can give up at the starts just because you have all the other Ducatis that are there that are just as quick. But it remains to be seen. If you get into the hot summer races, Bastianini may start to put a small stamp on those races. In the sprints, it's a free-for-all. I think Marquez may, may win one. Podiums are probably more likely, Mm -hmm. especially at the very beginning. They're just going to be crazy things that are just going to happen. You know, Marquez loves Coda. That's the third race of the year. You can see Honda having something for a sprint race there, potentially, right? Yamaha, Quattro will put up the good fight. I just don't think he can hold off the Armada, not by himself. So he's going to be in the thick of it. He's going to be a pest. But I don't think he has anything to take the championship away from a Ducati rider by any stretch the wild card in all of this to me is the aprilia and what they do because they're the ones that can challenge ducati they're the ones that are going to be the people on the podium so does the ducati horde and the armada work against ducati's top two riders they're factory riders because if the aprilias consistently can get to the podium but you've got say premac at the top and a one factory ducati rider third and then the next weekend it's you know maybe a Ducati factory writer in second but it's a Grassini team on top and a Pramac rider taking the podium spot that that's points being taken away that you aren't going to want again this is that drama of politics that will work itself out and that's part of the fun I think of this season so that's how I see it uh that's my take on the MotoGP championship Rich who do you think is world champion?
1: Oof. I think I'll probably just about edge to Banyaya taking a second championship, but only just. As things stand right now, I think Honda, Yamaha and KTM, they're kind of, let's call them midfield, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. altogether. I think this is entirely a Ducati and Aprilia championship, with the stacks heavily in Ducati's favour. But as you've just said, Ducati's problem is going to be, now that they're all on pretty much equal machinery, and... There isn't really a bad rider in amongst them. Their problem is going to be who do they support and when do they start to kind of thump their fist on the table and say, right, you can't do this. This is our guy, whoever that might be. At the minute, I'm kind of edging Banyard just because I think he's got momentum. Hmm. He's the works rider. But it's very, very hard to call. It really, really is. And I, th- I do think... The outstanding Aprilia rider will be Oliveira, I think, just because he's so Mm -hmm. metronomically consistent. And there are, you know, with the sprints, again, let's just emphasise it again, there are a lot more points on offer. So consistency will count for a hell of a lot in this championship. You know, if you, Get injured for one reason or the other, or you have a few bad weekends. If you're that kind of up and down rider, as some of them are, somebody that's just banking the points, race in, race out, could be an outlier. And I think Oliveira's the guy.
0: Yep. But it's conceivable that Oliveira can be a shock world champion, just like Jorge Martin could be a shock world champion. It's inside of the realm of possibility, and you yeah, got to think it, it could be one of these that Oliveira is able to finish very high in sprint races. But he's also able to finish in top five consistently in the moto in the long race on Sunday. Yeah, I guess at the Grand Prix. I don't know what we want. I don't know what we're calling it. We'll have to listen to what the Dorna feed says on TV. What they call the two races. I don't know. Is it just a Sunday race? Is it? A sprint race is obvious, but what is Sunday's event? You could have these weird one-off world champion things that are going to happen. You know, Ducati can implode. There's nothing that says that they can. I mean, if you don't believe me, you look, go back and watch the last few races and watch Tardasi go around the pit box like he was yeah. you, threatening to you know, punch people, right?
1: The historical precedent is that satellites don't win world championships and satellite riders don't win championships. But I think what's different now is that the level of the equipment is so high and so equal, even with satellite, it's not a satellite. That's Ducati's
0: deal. Ducati yeah. caused all that. They honestly did. Yes. And I don't mean to cut you off. They rich, have changed
1: but the game. Yeah, they they have.
0: changed the game because they started to give all of their satellite teams very good year-old bikes. And if you're making a bike that's that good because you've got that much data from so many riders, you're going to up the game of everything, right? And they've treated – I mean, Alex Marquez had – I saw this, I think, on – uh, on the race maybe where Alex Marquez was talking about how DG Jolina comes down and talks to him and wants to know what he thinks of the bike and how does it work and what would you like to see and you know on and on and on like yeah you know he, he did it in a way where he wasn't bashing Honda but you get the impression Honda was like oh here's a motorcycle and that's it off you go Where yeah off you go good luck Ducati put a lot of their works technicians in the satellite squads. And that's the difference. Yep. That's learning. That's good learning for those. Of course it is. Right. It's good learning for those engineers, those technicians, because I mean, they probably want to be in the factory team as much as what a guy wants to, who is a racer, wants to be in the factory team. But you have to have a way to develop everybody. So you developed your motorcycle across multiple riders. You developed your mechanics across multiple teams, right? To really cherry pick your own crews for what you want over here in the works team. It's brilliant. It just took a long time to get there. And really, they didn't start doing it until Gigi Deligna took the helm and Gigi started to give everybody last year's bikes because there were some teams that still had a 19 bike, right? And some had a 20 and they were, Gigi's like, "Mm, nope, you all get, you're getting all this now.
1: Yeah, I mean, Ducati have had a long run up to getting to where they are now, but it hasn't happened by accident and because Ducati have had at least two sort of satellite semi work squads for what at least five or six seasons and probably you can go back even further than that so they've had a long run up to this kind of dominant position where they are now but for me that kind of makes the situation with say and let's pick on Yamaha but I think they're an easy target that that makes their current predicament so self-inflicted because for all those years with Tech 3 they were just a customer team you pay for the bike and off you go you know, bears. <laughs> it's a it's kind of a perfect storm of sort of a terrible situation for Yamaha because this has unfolded and coincided with a paradigm shift in the championship in terms of aero suddenly coming along. And now that Yamaha looks to be so far behind that not only do they not have a satellite team, they will now struggle to attract anybody that even wants to run the bike as a satellite, even if it's semi works so it's almost an unforgivable failing of management and foresight i think for yamaha okay suzuki never got to the point of having a work uh, you know a satellite team i think lcr is quite well looked after by hrc i mean they have hrc contracted riders in there so i think hrc you couldn't necessarily point that finger quite to the same degree at them but all the european factories have had this right for several years and they're you know really reaping the benefit of what they've sown now it's going to
0: be a kind of european factory whitewash this year i think Ducati has earned their position, no doubt. They also have fundamentally redesigned everything. They've shown you how to integrate technological advances into a motorcycle. They've showed you how to bring aerodynamics into a motorcycle. They've shown you how to restructure your teams, your satellite teams, and your engineers so that you can get the best out of everything to obtain the ultimate goal, which is a MotoGP World Championship. Yeah. It's been stunning. It's just, I think it took longer than they wanted it to, but you have to believe that they have succeeded in good on them. And what's more, they're doing and have been doing exactly the same thing
1: about Superbike And they are in exactly the same dominant position in that championship now as well. And everybody else has been very slow to cotton on. And if you look at the plight of Kawasaki in World Superbike, anybody that's listened to the last show with the interview that I had with Greg Haynes from Eurosport, we spent some time talking about this. And Kawasaki in particular are in a world of trouble. Because A, they're behind with the bike compared to their competitors. And they have no riders and or satellite infrastructure helping to bring them forward. So this is the new normal now. And, you know, certain factories have just missed that boat big time and are now on a steep kind of development path to try and get back. And it's going to take quite a bit of time, I think, for some of these factories, both in World Superbike and in, obviously, MotoGP. Nevertheless, we're going to to be treated to some very exciting
0: racing of that, I have no doubt. Yep. So quickly, I think Moto3, there was some testing there. It is all over the place. Moto3 is always chaotic. No one would have ever predicted that Pedro Costa would win a world title when he did the way he did. So uh, I'm not even going to venture anything other than say watch Moto3 and enjoy because you're going to find some new young talent that's going to do something. And after the first four or five races, I think we may have a better look at who we think may be in the run for the championship. Yeah. However, I think Moto2 is a done sealed deal. I think Pedro Costa runs off on this one, much like Marquez did in 2012 with his Moto2 title. So it looks like it. It sure looks like it, folks. It just looks that way. One piece
1: of headline news, Jim, from the Moto2 test, actually, is that your friend Iagira had a motocross uh, crash, broke his hand, Mm -hmm. so he missed the test last week and looks quite unlikely to be fit in time for this weekend. So that's mm. uh, you know obviously not a helpful start for him. And just to add insult to injury for him, Argentina is a back-to-back. So they go straight from Portimao mm. to the following weekend in Argentina. So if Aguirre doesn't race this weekend, you, you have to sort of wonder whether or not he'll be fit in time to get to the round two, what, five days later. So not a great start for him in what should have been a kind of equal championship favourite Position with the likes of Acosta, Canet. I mean, Canet, Aldegar. And Acosta were the top three in the test last weekend. Just going back to Moto3, I mean, bizarrely, Ricardo Rossi, who's been getting strong, actually. I mean, he's been popping up more and more as years have gone by. But Ricardo Rossi, Rueda, who's this new kid, I think on the IO squad in Moto3, and then David Nunoth. they were the top three in the Moto3 test. But as you say, lots of riders, a bit all over the place, one week to go. So nobody was probably putting it all out there on the line with a week to go, you know, for fear of being injured for round one. So a bit hard to
0: uh, spot the form there. I think we're clear yep. on MotoGP, but Moto2 and oh, Moto3 yeah, so. will be yeah. a riot, as always. So I have one last thing before we end this. It's about a, a Moto2 team, and you, all know, you might be knowing this one, but the American Racing Team is sponsored this year by OnlyFans. Oh, yes. (laughs) Okay. Now, if I say the words OnlyFans to you, I'm pretty sure I know exactly what is the first thing that comes to your mind. Yes. Uh, So I get what they're trying to do because they said, well, we're going to have unique access that you can only get by subscribing to that particular channel on OnlyFans. But I can't imagine how much more you're going to get. Are they just going to have showing everybody sitting around the What do they call that where they serve all the food in there? The hospitality. The hospitality, yes. Thank you, hospitality. I could not come up with hospitality, folks. Uh, The hospitality unit where they're all sitting around talking to each other because they're not going to give you very much, I wouldn't think, because it's a live stream. They're not going to give you what the riders are thinking or saying and what they're doing to change the bikes, right? I mean, that's ridiculous. They can't show you racing because that's very much Dorna's domain. So there's no way they can do that. So I'm curious how all of this is going to work. And, you know, that comes back to those of us who were around for the 90s in the moto, what was AMA Pro Racing. I wonder if there's going to be some odd filming that will be happening in the trucks or whatnot, because that was always a strong rumor that no one has ever confirmed or denied from the 90s and American road racing paddock at the time. So I was like, ah, hopefully this isn't going on <laughs> over here, too, because I just know the mind boggles. <laughs> I get that you are in a financial situation that requires you to ha- find someone to help you sponsor your team and provide the money for you to go racing and travel across the world, et cetera, et cetera. I just find it an odd choice that I'm going to do that. We'll see. We'll see. Who knows? This could be really great. And people who have an account, maybe they will enjoy this content that they're going to provide. Just the restrictions that Dorna has on what you can and can't do seems, you know, I've all I'll say, Jim is
1: I've read one or two things in the mainstream press of late whereby only fans as a platform is bedeviled by a certain perception as to all it is. Yes. And I think there's a degree of truth to truth, that. Truth, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, it's obviously a huge money-making platform, and it makes a change from crypto bloody currency to have something different from the social kind of side of things. But I think OnlyFans as a platform is on a bit of a charm offensive trying to change the perception of what a lot of its content is about. So, I mean, I don't know. I don't subscribe to anybody on OnlyFans. We're not on OnlyFans. You know, you can't see me rollicking around the kitchen half naked, you know, cooking my dinner, which is obviously a great benefit to mankind. Um, so I know nothing really much about it other than the fact that they are now sponsoring the American racing team. But my attitude Mm. is, you know, as you say, they can't show race footage. They'll probably be, uh, particularly in this day and age, they'll probably be quite coy about some of the potential content that's available there. I mean, I don't think we're going back to the sort of LCR Honda Playboy sponsorship kind of connotations or anything like that. I don't think we'll have any sort of um, bunny girls on the grid. So yeah, a little bit of an odd one, I suppose. But yeah. I just think it's part of OnlyFans, perhaps trying to present itself to the public in a slightly
0: more positive light. But if it helps the team in terms of funding, I'm all for it. There, as far as I know, there's nothing that is illegal about it. Much like the Playboy sponsorship from years ago, right? I, you know, I just find it odd. You know, okay, I already got a subscription to the Dorna feed. There's not really a lot I think you could actually provide as content. But that's
1: fine. Well, unless they're allowed to do sort of inside the team stuff that's outside of sure. the purview of Dorna, I mean, that would obviously be a revenue stream that might generate some interest. I mean, American racing as a team is of great interest to us because, of course, you've got Sean Dillon Kelly as, a, as an mm-hmm. American. We've got Rory yep. Skinner as a Brit, as a Scott, he's a Scot, but let's call him a Brit as well. So, just for us, in terms of our sort of nationalities, that's a great interest that team and moto two is a great championship now much more so than we would have said a few years ago oh yeah so you know both of those riders have a lot to prove in that championship it's a fiercely competitive championship moto two and it's going to be a a stiff challenge for them but you know i like that team i like the way they go about doing stuff they got hopper in there they you know as rider coach and sort of mentor and stuff so we'll keep close tabs on them for personal reasons i i'm sure jim you and i oh yeah we will yeah interesting one thing I just wanted to add, because I made a note of it, one yes. notable name that has disappeared from the grid this year, Moto3, is Andre Mino. He doesn't have yes. a ride this year.
0: He, he aged out,
1: correct? guess he might have done, or whether he's just... He's close, I know. Yeah, he was close. So He's I don't... close to aging out. Perhaps people can tell us if they know what he's going to be doing, if he's retired or moved on to some other championship. He's certainly not in... Supersport or anything like that, um, because I've been watching the first couple of rounds there, so don't know what Mino is up to, mm. but a notable absence because he's been a sort of stalwart of Moto 3 for as long as I can remember, really. Yeah,
0: as far as I can remember, too. Anyway, beyond that, a few days to go, can't wait. Yeah, looking forward to it. All right, so everyone, remember this coming weekend, we are in Porto Mayo, first race of the year. Seven days later, we are in Argentina for the second round, and then two weeks after Argentina. We're in Texas. I will be in Texas, Rich. I know you were hoping to be in Texas. I was hoping. You're hoping, but you can't make it. That's fine. I understand? So, that's the first three rounds. Be prepared, people, because it's going to be fast. It's going to come fast. Going to be furious. It's going to be a pace. Uh, don't know how we're going to get it all in, but we'll manage somehow. So, until we either see you in Texas or the next show. Ride safe, people. Cheers, everyone. See you next time.